Welcome to the podcast of Living Water Bible Fellowship. We are a church in Alamosa, Colorado, and here you can find our sermons and other occasional teachings. We hope and pray that this podcast encourages you in your walk with Jesus and increases your understanding of God's Word and the Gospel. Through Jesus, anyone can have new life, can have freedom, and can have ultimate salvation. Stick around to the end of this podcast to learn more about what the gospel is and how to be saved. And now, on to our teaching. We opened the book of Revelation last week, and we learned that He is coming. He's coming. He's coming soon. The first, first word we heard of the apocalypse of John was that when he comes, the earth will be mourning. That there'll be mourning all over the earth, that there'll be weeping and sorrow and gnashing of teeth because he comes as a judge. It might surprise you, however, to learn that the first vision that John receives is for the church. How will we find ourselves when he comes? Are we ready to meet the Lord? He's coming. Please open your Bibles to the revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 1, verse 9. Revelation 1, verse 9. May God bless the reading of His Holy Word. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, in the island called Patmos, an account of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one was like a son of man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword, his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death in Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen. Those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Seven lampstands are the seven churches. So the apocalypse of the Apostle John, the apocalypse of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus Christ, we... 
We have John speaking to the churches today, as he will for the next several weeks as we examine this text. John comes to us, to the church, Jesus' church. He comes speaking about what he's seen and what he knows and what will be. He comes speaking about the return of Jesus Christ. He comes speaking to us, calling us to be the people of God. Uh, in verse 9, he uh, identifies with the church. I, John, your brother and partner. I'm going through the same things you're going through. I'm going through the same life that you're dealing with, the same sufferings, the same trials, the same tribulations. I know what's happening in your life. I know what's happening in your churches. I know what's happening in your towns. I, I, I'm going through the same things. I'm a partner in tribulation. Some of your translations say sufferings. The first century church was filled with people that were suffering. Uh, there's different understandings about when it was written, the time frame, the place it was written. But I take it as the end of the first century. I take it as a time where the emperor of Rome was, uh, was going after those who would not worship the Roman gods. The emperor of Rome, uh, through his different uh, temples in the different places around the Roman Empire, through his priests, through his, his army, uh, he was not standing anymore for faithfulness to other gods or worship of other gods. He wanted Rome to be worshipped and he wanted his gods to be worshipped. And the church was suffering. They were in tribulation. I'm your partner in the patient endurance, he says, that are in Jesus. Perseverance. Perseverance in Jesus Christ. Perseverance in the faith. Perseverance in walking with Jesus. Perseverance in obeying Jesus. Perseverance in living for Jesus. Perseverance in loving Jesus. I'm, I'm your partner in this. And notice how that's, that these two outward phrases are kind of sandwiched. I'm your partner in the kingdom. Last week, he brought up the idea of, of Jesus making us a kingdom and priests. Royal, royal priesthood are we. We are the reign of Jesus Christ. We're the people of Jesus Christ. We're belonging to him under his authority, under his power, under his rule. We'll be with him forever as his people, his kingdom, his, his servants forever and ever. In the meantime, though we will be part of a king, we will rule with Jesus forever and ever. And whatever that means, uh, incredible inheritance, incredible responsibility, incredible calling that God has upon his people. Whatever that means in the future, whatever that means in the days to come, whatever that means in the kingdom uh, right now, even in the 21st century, more martyrs today than there have ever been in the history of the church. Millions and millions and millions of Christians suffering persecution for their faithfulness to Jesus Christ, for their walk with Jesus, for their obedience to Jesus Christ, for their trust in Jesus Christ. We have it relatively easy here, but not everywhere here. There are pockets where it's hard to be a Christian today in the United States of America. There are places where ridicule and scorn and laughter are directed towards those who say that Jesus is their Lord and they will live for him. We don't know what the days hold. We don't know what's coming tomorrow. But John knew. 
John knew that he was caught up in the worship of Jesus Christ. He was caught up in, in uh, faithfulness to Jesus Christ and he knew what it mean, meant to suffer. I'm your partner. I'm your brother in this. I know what you're going through and so does God. I was on the, uh, he's writing from the island of Patmos. You can imagine maybe, uh, um, if I can put a map in the sky here, kind of here's Rome over here, here's Greece over here, here's modern day Turkey over here and the Aegean seas, kind of between Greece and Turkey. And out there, maybe 40 miles from Ephesus, out in the, out in the Aegean Sea is this rock, this 10 mile by 6 mile island that he'd been banished to. I don't know how long he lived there. I think if it was written in the, the 90s of the first century, he's, he's a relatively old man by now. So maybe he didn't live there long, maybe he was only there for a season, but banished, exiled, sent there because of the testimony of Jesus Christ, because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, because he held to the word of God, because he refused to bow to the false gods and idols of the day. Faithful was John to the Lord Jesus Christ, and because of it he was suffering. The part and parcel of every Christian, sooner or later. There are ecclesiologies, there's understandings of the church, there's, there's, there's beliefs about the church that it's all about victory, it's all about name and claim it, it's all about prosperity and health and living large and claiming your <laughs> whatever. And there's some theologies, some ecclesiologies that falsely say that the Christian should never suffer. He's a king, he's a son of God, she's a queen. That's not been the experience of the churches for 20 centuries. It's a new prosperity theology <laughs> that the devil laughs at. I am your partner, says John, in the tribulation and in the perseverance of the kingdom. I'm here on the island of Patmos. Uh, I, I, was, I was there banished because of my faithfulness to Jesus Christ, my, 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 my belief in the Word of God and my walking it out, living it out. I was sent there by apparently the Roman Empire. Somebody got tired of him preaching in Ephesus. Somebody got tired of him uh, calling people away from the Roman gods. So now he's suffering. Verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Uh, the first day of the week, the Sunday. By the end of the first century, most churches had started worshiping. Most believers, most Christians started wor worshiping on Sunday. The day of Jesus' resurrection from the dead became the day, the sacred day of worship. We saw last week uh, how blessed are those who read the Word of God in, 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 in the congregation, those who hear it and those who apply it. People gathered, and they've been doing it for 20 centuries, gathering Sunday by Sunday to hear the word, to worship Christ, to be among the fellowship of the brethren as the people of God. He was, uh, even though he's banished, we don't know if there was a congregation on Patmos or not, but he was worshiping that day. It says, I was in the spirit. Uh, we don't know how, how much this is an allusion to, but... Uh, we look at the book of Ezekiel, you look at some of the Old Testament prophets, 
And when God's word came to them, they were in the spirit. I, I know Ezekiel in particular, the spirit came upon him and the spirit lifted him up. And so is this a, a, an allusion to his commissioning? We're not sure. But he was with the Lord and the Lord came upon him. Came upon the faithful one, came upon the teacher, came upon the apostle, came upon the one who'd given his life. And he came upon him with a vision. I heard behind me first its auditory before its vision. For its visionary, its auditory. I heard a loud voice like a trumpet. And whenever we see it in the New Testament, when Jesus' second coming is mentioned, usually it's in the context of a trumpet sounding. Or in the Old Testament, when Moses went up on the mountain to meet with God, he heard a loud trumpet blast. Saying, write what you see in the book and send it to the seven churches. So the seven churches. Uh, again, last week we talked about this being an apocalyptic kind of a, a literature. It's a, it's a prophecy, but it's also a letter. So he's writing by God's direction. Take what you see. Uh, what we have in the book of Revelation is what's being talked about in verse 11. Write what you see in a book. And now we have... In this book, all that God wanted us to have about the end, about His coming. Write what you see. And, and so the churches, it, why these seven? There are many other churches in Asia Minor, in the province of Asia, the Roman province of Asia in western Turkey. Uh, if you look at the map again, uh, maybe Rome's over here and here's Greece and here's the Aegean Sea. Patmos is out here. Ephesus is, is just right here on the kind of southwest side of Turkey. And the, the churches that are mentioned, it's kind of like a semicircle or almost a circle. Some think it was, it was a, a, a route that someone would travel by horse or by, to deliver messages. We're not sure, but here's Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum. Thyatira up here, and then you come down the side, there's Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. These are real churches. These are real believers. These are real Christians. And uh, we're not exactly sure. Maybe these are distribution points for the messages that God wanted for his church. We're not sure. Uh, we know that in every one of these places, except for one, there was a Roman temple where the Roman gods were worshipped. And in several of these places, there were Roman priests and altars and uh, the, the worship of the Roman gods was celebrated. And in every one of these places, there was persecution upon the believers because they would not worship the Roman gods. They were faithful to Jesus Christ. So the message goes to these, these uh, and we're, we're going to see in the coming weeks, is we have an individual message for each church. Uh, some have thought, well, wh what does this mean for us? Well, it seems like maybe these seven churches, you know, the perfect number seven, maybe it's a typology, so to speak, of these are types of churches. Even in our day, the way the churches can behave in relation to Jesus or not behave in relation to Jesus. Maybe some churches today can be like these churches. They can compromise or be tempted to compromise their faith. Maybe these churches can be tempted to uh, ignore Jesus' call so they're safe, so they don't lose their house, or they're not arrested, or they're not put uh, into positions where they might uh, suffer. So maybe every one of these churches that's mentioned, maybe there's examples for us, the wider church. 
You know, when God inspired the author, John, he knew how many centuries it would be before Jesus came. He knew the day of his arrival. And so this is a blessing for the church, the universal church, the church in all the continents, the church around the world today that's in the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions. It's a message for us. What is Jesus saying to the churches? What is Jesus saying to us? So he writes to them uh, this book. Then, verse 12, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. So the voice is like a trumpet. Imagine that. We, we, we have a trumpet here, I think. We could invite Deborah up and let, it, let her rip. The voice is like a trumpet. And I turned to see the voice, the voice that was speaking to me. Notice in these, these descriptions, the like or as. Uh, John has perhaps some of these descriptions he, he can take from his frame of reference. He's seeing a vision and he's saying, what I saw, the, the Spirit told me to write what I saw. So I saw it was like this or it was like that. It looked like that. How, how do you take heavenly scenes and write them down? You have to use analogies, figures of speech. You have to say, it's, well, it's kind of like this. So I turned, I saw the voice that was speaking to me, and turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. First thing, he doesn't see the voice. He doesn't see the, the person. He sees seven golden lampstands, which is very, uh, in terms of what the message that we're receiving from the first vision of the apocalypse of John is, is very important, the order of it. And in the midst of the lampstands, like one like a son of man, some think this, this is uh, directly related to you know, John's understanding of Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. You know, the Son of Man, when he was taken on the clouds and he approached the Ancient of Days, he received dominion and power and might and authority. Um, he was clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. Uh, in Daniel chapter 7, if this is, you know, there's so many allusions to the Old Testament. Some think that this vision, this, this, uh, this announcement, you know, Jesus wanted, what he brought to John to give to us is everything he wanted to say. It, it's his words. And so we, we think maybe he's taken from John uh, or Daniel chapter 7, the Ancient of Days with the, the Father, Yahweh, with white hair, speaking uh, uh, certain connotations. Um, in their day were meant to be heard. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in the furnace. His voice like the roar of many waters. Uh, got to go hiking with Chad and Jody the other day. We went up to the Caneos Canyon. We went into the uh, Rubalid Lake. And there's a, there's a waterfall there. At various points of the canyon, you can hear the waterfall roar. For hundreds of yards away till, till maybe, maybe half a mile away, you can hear that roar of the waterfall. It reminded me of Jesus' voice, like a trumpet, like a waterfall, many waters. Maybe, maybe some think that maybe the, the, the roaring waters, like if he's on this island, the waves crashing upon the shore, the sound of the ocean and all of its power and all of its might and all of its authority crashing again and again. Uh, we're, we're meant to take in our minds the, these visions and see something great of Jesus In his right hand, he held the seven stars. 
the, the cosmic vision of the glorious Christ holding stars in His hand. How great is your Jesus? How small is your Jesus? The vision that John sees is one who holds all things in His hands. In his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. <laughs> I can't look at the sun for five seconds. How did John look into the face of the sun shining, the noonday sun shining in all of its brightness and all of its glory? Well, it's a vision. He was lifted up his, in his faculties, in his mind. He was lifted up. He was, he was present. He was awake. And yet it was a, it was a vision. And so we look at these, these, these ideas and these pictures that Jesus wants us to have of himself, and we don't see what in our culture today, uh, the, the, the meek and mild Jesus, do we? We don't see the, the effeminate uh, pictures of Jesus kind of carrying around little baby lambs. Oh, little cuddly lamb. Some of the ideas of Jesus we have are just embarrassing. He is the glorious one. He is the glorious Lord, the risen Lord of all, the King of kings, the God of the angel armies. The pictures we have here, if we could try to describe them, you know, the, 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 the man with the long robe and the golden sash, some see this as a, a vision of a high priest. The priesthood really isn't mentioned in Revelation a whole lot, so that's kind of poo-pooed some, in some places. Uh, uh, the, 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 it's someone in authority, obviously, because back in the day, the, only the rich or the wealthy or the powerful uh, are wearing robes like this with a golden sash. Somebody in great authority and power. Uh, again, the, the, the white hair connoting the Ancient of Days, connoting God and all of His wisdom and all of His authority and all of His grandeur, the sublime God who was and is and is to come. Uh, we have this, this, this awesome picture here of, of his eyes like flames of fire. Uh, he's the judge. The, the, the eyes, and, and I don't know, maybe you've seen some artwork like this, and it always is disappointing. To, in John's, John's picture, uh, Jesus' purpose in giving us this vision through John is not that we draw pieces of paper or, or art that's trying to connote that, because there, it's an amalgamation of these different scenes. What we're meant to see is, is the, the connotations of his character and his holiness. Not to come up with some small uh, physical picture that maybe someone would be tempted to worship or something like that. But he's the judge with eyes of flame and fire. His feet are like burnished bronze. Your, some of your translations say like brass. Um, and we don't know what that means really, but some people think it's a sign of stability and strength, something strong, standing against the storms of evil. Uh, his voice, like the roar of many waters, in his right hand he held seven stars. His mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Now the Roman sword, you've seen the short sword, it looks like a tongue. But what does it do? The, short, the sword stabs, the sword comes in judgment to kill. And the face like the sun, shining in all of its glory. Can't think of anything more glorious than the sun in all of its glory. And yet God is portrayed that way. Jesus is portrayed that way. 
I don't know how you add this up. I don't know how you put it together. But as I was wrestling with it this week and thinking about what, what, what is Jesus trying to say? He's picturing the end time ruler, the end time judge. The one who everybody will answer to, not just the world in their sinfulness, not just the evil powers of the age, not just the, uh, um, the people that have hurt you or ruined you. He, everyone has to meet the judge. Uh, Jesus' first vision, who does it come to? The, 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 the scene, the sights, the pictures... Who is it referring, who, 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 is, who is it meant for? And that's where we, we look at uh, verse 13, in the midst of the lampstands. In verse 12, I turned and saw the seven golden lampstands. Uh, the church. Uh, God, is he's given the vision to Jesus, and Jesus is giving the vision to an angel, and the angel's giving the vision to John, John relays the vision to us. The first thing he saw was the church. He heard the voice and he turned and he saw the seven golden lampstands. We see at the end of verse 20 that the seven lampstands are the churches. The churches he's writing to and by extension to us is the church. Uh, lampstands, it's not a candlestick, it's a, it's a lampstand. Uh, that's technology that we don't use anymore generally. Some of you might have cabins where you have a lamp stand, where you have a stand where you put an oil lamp on the top. The menorah in the, the tabernacle or temple, there's a lamp stand with places for seven lamps. The lamp stand, he, he's walking among the churches, he's in the midst of his churches. Each, each church is connoted as a stand to show light, to bring light into the world. I saw the golden lampstands in the midst of the lampstands was one like the Son of Man. Here's, here's the judge in the midst of his church, in the midst of his people. In the midst of his people, he's standing as a judge. The awesome, incredible, glorious God. What, what is he doing there? Why is he present in these powerful, magnificent imagery, image, imageries, uh, these, these metaphors, these, these, these likenesses and analogies that John is trying to describe. You, you can't describe the infinite one using human language. So God comes in, in this vision to John, and it's like this. Do you see it? Do you see my power? Do you see my authority? Do you see my strength? Do you see... The judgment coming. I, I, I wrestled with this quite a, quite a season this week and, and processing it uh, even at the end of, of verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, the seven gold lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Seven lampstands are the seven churches. Why is that emphasized? I'm coming. Are you ready? He is coming. And when He comes, the world will mourn because the world will face judgment. But first, He comes to His church. Are we as His church? How will He find us? 
How, how will he find us if he comes tomorrow? How would he find us if he came today? How would the judge, the one who's piercing judgments, whose authoritative accountability as he meets with his people, how would he find us? Will he find us faithful? Will he find us as overcomers? Will he find us as people who are loving him with everything we are? Will he find us as people who refuse to deny his name for the sake of safety? Will he find a people who are trusting in him with their very lives, even if it costs them their very lives to trust in him? How will he find his church? And it's incredibly humbling, incredibly scary, terrifying even, uh, for pastors and elders, or it should terrify us, in a sense of, what, what does it mean by the seven stars? In verse 20, he says the seven stars are angels, but what does that mean? Uh, angel, it can be translated messengers. Every, every of the seven letters that come, that follow this first revelation, I think they're extensions of the first revelation, the first uh, vision uh, that comes from Jesus Christ to the churches. Uh, it's written to, every, every letter is written to the angel of the church. Well, what does that mean? Do we, you know, some people, what, there's, there's several different interpretations of this. Uh, some would say that uh, the angel, literal angels that are in charge of each church, like maybe Living Water Bible Fellowship has a guardian angel, something like that. But why would, why would there be John writing to the angel of that church? The angel doesn't need that, that letter. Uh, is it somehow the spirit of the church? Some, some say that uh, what he's, who he's writing to is the pastor of the church or the elders of the church. Now, that's hard uh, exegetically to bring that out because it doesn't, there isn't a place where that's described that way. Uh, and we don't know if every one of these churches had a pastor, you know, an official pastor or even an elder board or whatever. Uh, so we're, we, you know, we're jumping into, into unknowns here. We, we don't want to read into the text. But the emphasis is on, write the church. Tell them what you see. And the idea, I think, is, is to call us to examine ourselves. Write Living Water Bible Fellowship. Write the people. You, you see, we, we, come to, we come to church, and sometimes our ecclesiologies, again, our understanding of the church, we come to be blessed, or we come to, to receive, we come to be encouraged and built up, and that, that can happen. But this is Jesus' church. We're the church. The people are the church. This church isn't Jerron's church, or Greg's church, or Luke's church. It's always, it always embarrasses me when people say, hey, that's Tito's church, or that's, that's Hank's church, or whatever. It's like, oh, this is Jesus' church. <laughs> they're, they're, they're his people. You're, we're his people. There isn't any organization that, that's between Jesus and his people. There isn't any denomination or structure. There isn't any like, headquarters church that we answer to. We answer to Jesus. We're an autonomous church under the name, the reign, the King Jesus. And when he comes to his church, uh, what does he find? Does he find a faithful people? Or does he find a compromised church? Does he find I, I, the vision? Why, why is it coming this way? Why is it being spoken this way? 
He's walking among his church. He's evaluating his church. John wants us to see the vision is, is he, John's seeing how Jesus is coming to his church before he comes to the world, before he comes to the earth. He comes to call us to faithfulness, to call us to repentance, to call us to change, to call us to be his people again, to stop denying him, to stop pretending that we're his when we're not, to stop living for the world instead of living for him. Uh, if Jesus did come back, how would he find you today? Would he find you committed to him or not? He comes to his church as judge. How, how, how would we, you know, the, the church in the first century, man, I bet they were praying a lot. Jesus, please come back. You said you'd come back. You know, like the Jews in the Old Testament as they were looking forward to the Messiah. Send the Messiah. Send the Messiah. When the Messiah came, they were shocked. He wasn't what they thought he would be. And when the Messiah came, um, what did they find? They, they, they rejected him and they found judgment. The, the church is praying, oh, may the Lord come. May the Lord come and save us and rescue us. Really, do you want the Lord to come? Would it be right for him to come today and meet you as you are? I think there's, there's a, the vision is coming to the church first so the church can get right. Just as John the Baptist came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. This, this revelation, it, 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 bring, it came to the first century. It's coming to every generation since, giving us the opportunity to repent before he comes. Giving us the opportunity to get right with God again. Uh, notice, I, I have to say this, um, when he comes upon the world, it's coming in, in punishment. When he comes upon the world, when Jesus returns, he's coming in judgment. Uh, with his church, it's not like that. As we celebrated at the Lord's table, uh, we've been saved by grace. We have been forgiven. We've been, we've been uh, brought into the kingdom. We are his now. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. But when, when God comes upon his people, he comes as a father disciplining his children. He comes to uh, rebuke. He comes to challenge. He, call, he comes to to uh, bring us to, to right standing with Him again. We're safe. We are, we are loved, as the first uh, nine verses spoke about so eloquently. He's loved us. He's made us a kingdom and priest. He, he paid for our sins by His blood, so, so we're saved. But um, He still can come in discipline, come in judgment upon His people. How will He find you if He came today? He's giving us the opportunity with his vision. Look at what happens um, to the Apostle John. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. <laughs> I mean, the vision was so, so intense. I, how, how could you not respond that way? Even if you're pure, even if you've been sinless, I mean, to, we are not in, in, this, in this flesh capable of standing in the light of the glory of God. So he falls down and he's, he's dead, but, but he laid his right hand on me. Now, some pe this troubles some people because I thought he had the seven stars in his right hand. How could he have the seven stars and leave the stars hanging and put his right hand on John? <laughs> it's a vision. It's flexible. Right? Don't take it too tightly. That Everything has to happen literally. He places his hand on him and he says, don't fear. And I've wondered about that. 
I wonder about that. What, what does that mean? Is it just a, a word to John or is it a word to us all? You don't have to fear if you're living rightly with the Lord. You don't have to fear if you're walking with Jesus. You don't have to fear if you're living an uncompromised life. You don't have to fear if you're, you're trusting in Him and obeying Him. But if you're not, if you're living in selfishness, if you're living for your own glory, if you're the God that is worshipped in your house instead of Jesus Christ, or if there's other idols that you're bowing down to, other idols that you're serving right now, maybe there is a place for fear. Again, not as Christians, not, not that you'd lose your salvation, not that you'd be kicked out of the kingdom, because we are saved by grace. We're kept by grace. We're saved forever because we didn't earn our salvation. It's given as, as a gift. It's, it's graced to us. But who would want to meet the living God and be a poser, be a pretender, be a faker, be a liar, be a deceiver, be a thief, be a murderer, be an evildoer? He's coming upon the earth to bring the judgment upon the evildoers of the earth. But how will he find his church? I fell at his feet though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. Now this is really interesting. Look at his description. And every word comes from the Father, through Jesus, through the angel, to John. It's intentional. I am the first and the last. Uh, going back to Yahweh, going back to what we described last week, the beginning and the end and everything in between. I'm the eternal one. I hold the beginning and the end equally. There's nothing that isn't in my control. The living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Now, I, the, that, that's tied to the kind of the phrases we looked at last week. I, I am, I will be, I, I was. The, the, the different of history, the scope of history, with the emphasis being, I am now. Uh, this, this kind of play on words. I was alive, but I died. But I came back to life. And now I'm living forevermore. I'm the living one. And he follows that up with, I hold the keys. Uh, thank God Satan doesn't hold the keys to your eternity. Thank God that you don't hold the keys to your eternity. That God does, that Jesus does. Uh, the way that this is interpreted here, death in Hades, death in the grave... Uh, some would say, why did he write that way? Well, in the day of the Greeks, in the day that, of the people he was writing to, there was a sense where death, uh, where that's where your, your soul went, uh, in, or, or your body went to death, and your, your soul went to Hades, the resting place of the dead. And so it's not being a very clear theology, Christian theology, but he's speaking to the people of the day. Uh, wherever you think you're going after you die, wherever you think your body goes, wherever you think your soul goes, who opens the doors? Who has the control of the future? Who is the one in charge of tomorrow? Who can set you free for eternity? Jesus Christ. Are you trusting in Him? Are you believing in Him? And so I think he, He's setting this up with this, with this idea. In the time when people were dying because they were Christians... 
the time when they were losing their homes because they're Christians, the time when they're being arrested, thrown into jail because they're Christians, the time when their name was being run through the mud because they're Christians, when they were being rejected because they're Christians. It's as if Jesus is saying, as he's laying his hand on John, fear not. If you die for me, you will yet live. Fear not. If you live for me and you die, you will yet live. Fear not. If you give me your life, if you entrust your life to me, if you surrender your life to me, if you turn over everything that you are to me, even if the Roman Empire or that government or that people group or that enemy, if they take your life, I will give it back again. Forevermore you belong to me. Forevermore you will live. Are you trusting me with your life? Are you trusting me with your death? Uh, I'm the one that holds the seven stars, the angels of the church, whether that's a personification of each church, whether that's a literal angel, whether that's the pastor of the church. In my right hand, I have sovereign control of all things. The, the right hand of sovereignty, of power, of might. I can hold you through anything. The mystery, the, you know, the, there's this, this word. We find it in Ephesians. We find it in different places. What is the mystery that he's talking about? Maybe the mystery is, how could God be sovereign in control and let his church die? How could he be sovereign in control and let his church go through tribulation and trial and suffering? Why doesn't he do something? Why doesn't he step in? Well, maybe that's the mystery. But hear this. If you live for Jesus, you will live. If you reject Jesus for safety, the, imagine, imagine thinking that, that you could, um, by compromising, by denying Jesus, that you could be safe. What a lie. So what if you keep your home for five more years? What about your eternity? So what if you keep your job? And you, and you, you haven't, if you deny Jesus before your boss and they can say, oh yeah, you can come and continue to work here. But what have you lost? If you die for Jesus, you will live for Jesus. Faithfulness in the night, faithfulness in the dark is rewarded in the light by salvation. Faithfulness in the night will be rewarded in the daytime. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy your master's happiness. I mean, what, are you living for the now? You can have it. I'm living for eternity. Jesus comes to his church and he challenges you. He challenges me. If he came to Living Water Bible Fellowship today, would he find a people living for him or living for things that are going to burn? And would he find a people living for his glory and his honor and his praise or would he find a people constantly denying him? We maybe proclaim him with our words, but we were denying him with our lifestyle. How tragic that would be. 
And so he gives us this vision. He brings this vision to us. I'm walking among my churches. I'm in the midst of my churches as judge. How will I find you? He hasn't come yet. There's time to repent. There's time to get right. Start living for the Lord because he's coming back. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his holy word. Please stand in the Lord's presence. Lord God, we thank you for letting us meet with you today. We thank you for letting us come into your presence. We know that we belong to you. You purchased us with your blood. You bought us with your sacrifice. Now we're your people, both now and forevermore. So we ask, Lord God, we ask that you would make much of yourself in our lives. We ask that you would reveal to us Maybe we are where we're far from you. We ask that you would reveal to us maybe if we're living in sin that we need to repent of. Lord, if you came today, how would you find us? We ask that you'd give us grace again. You'd speak grace again. You'd call us by your, by your love, by your patience. You'd call us into living for you again. May you find us faithful, Lord God. May you find us as your people making much of you, even until the end. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We pray that you would be exalted. Lord, give us the grace. Lord, as we see these lampstands that we're going to talk about next week, bearers of light, Lord, we ask that, uh, Lord, if, if we've covered the light, if we've hidden the light, if we've been unfaithful, we pray that you'd give us grace to speak of you again. And proclaim your word again. Speak of the light again to a world that's in the dark. Please, Lord, put us on mission again. Please, Lord, put us uh, to, to your purposes again for, you, for your glory again, Lord. Lord, send us out into the world now as your church, as your people. May you get all the fame. <laughs> May you get all the worship. May you get all the praise for being the God that you are. In the mighty and risen name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now, he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.